Good morning. Let's pray as our kids leave the sanctuary and as we prepare ourselves to receive God's word this morning. Father, I pray that you would calm our hearts and help us to focus on your thoughts, your high thoughts today, and that we wouldn't be focused on our discomfort and the heat or other distractions, that we would be able to focus on you today. I pray that you would be my inspiration and my filter, that the words that come out of my mouth today would be yours for your people. Thank you for all your blessings to us. Thank you for the privilege of being here to worship you and to hear your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, suffering. Rick was talking about John Payne this morning, someone who has suffered more than any of us probably ever will. It's kind of the, the extreme end of suffering. We hear about people who are persecuted around the world. It's, it's a level of suffering we don't often encounter in our daily lives. We encounter suffering like heat waves. <laughs> and yet as Christians, the ways that we suffer and our response to that suffering is critically important, whether it's small suffering or large suffering. It's important how we suffer. So today we're going to talk about how to suffer well, because it's just part of life. We will have suffering in our lives. Let's talk about what it means to suffer well in a way that glorifies God, that brings ourselves and others closer to God, in the same way that John Payne, in the story that Rick told, has now written a book and has had a wonderful ministry and is feeling used by God, and his book is going to touch untold numbers of people that was because of his response, because he's someone who knows the secrets to suffering well. So try to put the heat out of your mind today, the suffering that you're having right now, and focus on what God has for you. When I was asked to do this sermon just a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking, oh, am I, am I the right person to talk about Philippians 1, the right person to talk about suffering? Have I, have I suffered enough to be an expert on this topic? And I'm not sure that I have. I know a lot of people that have experienced far more suffering than I ever have in my life, and I've tried to think of some, some recent times that I may have suffered. And I'd like to actually show one to you, a time recently that I have suffered. And I think either my battery died. What's going on? I think it's going to come up on the screen, I'm hoping. You can see the time that I recently suffered. Not for a long time, but for a short, very intense period of time hoping it's coming up on the screen because I'm kind of suffering right now, just standing here waiting. We had it all working beautifully beforehand. <laughs> Best laid plans. So there's this thing in the United States called a county fair. Anybody ever been to a county fair in the United States? 
It's where all the 4-H kids come and they bring their animals that they've been raising and there's like ribbons given for the best animals that student or kids have, have raised. There's, um, we went to a, a monster truck rally basically where they were doing like mud bog racing and stuff. It's really redneck. I don't know if you know that, that particular colloquial term. Sorry, Jason, I don't know if you know the translation for redneck, but it's like rural people. You know how country people are a little different. Well, county fairs are kind of where the different country people in the United States go. And they also have rides and games and really greasy food that's terrible for you, right? And yet it's sort of like a, a moth to the flame. You just have to go. And of course, when they have the, the rides, the kids just have to go. And there are these bars that say, kind of like at Disneyland or anything, if you said they're like, you have to be this high to go on the ride. And they have sort of this range where if you're below this, you can't go at all. If you're in this range, you, you can go, but only if, anybody know? Your parent accompanies you on the ride. Lana, were you gonna, were you gonna volunteer to be the parent? No. So I was the volunteer parent to go on the ride. And we went on a ride called the scat. And that's what I'm hoping a video is gonna come up so you can just empathize with me a little bit. But it like tips, it, it, it goes around and then you're on another little thing that's going around and it starts tipping and you're going around. And as I was into it five seconds, it's like, and I said, what have I done? What have I done taking my eight-year-old on this? I wasn't really worried about how he was feeling. I was just worried about how I was feeling. What have I done? How long is this going to last? I'm way too old for this sort of thing. These are all the thoughts that were going through my mind. And I was suffering intensely for, I think, about two and a half minutes. Really, really bad, though. And I'd like to tell you a few things about that. Can we just go back to the slide so that I can just show a picture of it and keep going? Because I can't even get to my, what I want to tell them about it. Reboot the computer. Okay, computer's having trouble, so I'm going to go. You won't be able to see the slides, but at least I'll be able to remember what I was going to say next. Um, hopefully, we'll get that video. But there are a few things that I want to tell you about my experience. Again, it was called the SCAT. And I, I want to tell you a few things that, that I, during the ride, I thought the whole idea was really, really terrible. But afterwards, a purpose was revealed. The, the purpose was that my wife didn't have to do it, so I did it in her place. That was one of the purposes. But also, my son got to do this. And even though he, I don't think he really enjoyed it that much either, he said he really did. And it was sort of a bonding experience for the two of us to have suffered together. And that's the next thing I want to say about it is that when I saw, it would have been really meaningless if I had been on that ride alone. Really meaningless if I had been riding that ride all by myself, suffering like that. But because I was on there with my son and it gave him a unique experience, there was some purpose, there was a little bit of bonding that went on. The togetherness was really important. I want to tell you that I tried my best during that ride to not be sick. Like, sick, sick. And it was difficult, but I conducted myself well. I held things together. When we got off the ride, we had to dodge some of the minefields in the grass of other people who had been less successful than me. But I was able to compose myself and conduct myself well in the moment. Um, after about five seconds, I was really looking forward, like I said, to the end of that ride. The future, I had to stay focused on the future and the end and just persisting through to the end. 
and while this is a lighthearted example, I think those things that I've just shared, I can see parallels between those things that I wanted to tell you about my ride experience. My, there, oh, there's the ride. Is this the video or just a picture? It's just the picture, okay. That's the scat. And these are the things that I just talked about. You can see what some other dad looks like when he was riding it, how he's holding on for dear life, not really hanging on to his kids at all, just hanging on for it to himself, making sure he's not falling out. Um, the, the things that I wanted to share with you, Paul wanted to share actually similar kinds of things about his experience when he wrote the book of Philippians. Before we get to that, though, I'd, I'd like you to do some reflection. How have you suffered lately? And actually, I think one of the things I love about the Bible and I, what I love about what Paul writes and says and what I love about what Jesus says is that he changes our perceptions of things. Whatever the world says about things like suffering, Jesus basically says the opposite. Right? The world says if it feels good, do it. If it doesn't feel good, don't do it, right? There's all of these just sort of, and it seems very logical, the world's advice on things like suffering. But Jesus and Paul say something radically different. And I don't even think that the question, have you suffered lately, is the right one. I don't think John Payne would say it's the right one. I think the right question is, what opportunities have you had to glorify God in your suffering? Do you see the big difference there? We don't just see it as just suffering for no reason, but what opportunities have I had to glorify God in whatever suffering I have? And it, and it assumes that you will have suffering. We all do. And I'm talking about big suffering, little suffering. Sickness. Relationships that have gone astray. Financial trouble that's out of your control. Trouble at work persecution for your faith, but it could even be things like dealing with a heat wave, could even be little suffering. All of these things offer us an opportunity to glorify God in our response. And I, I want to say something very clearly about suffering at the beginning here. Sickness, relationships, finance, trouble at work, persecution, all these times of suffering, if, those, if we see those as opportunities you can't see them simultaneously as opportunities and as punishment. Often we have the, the natural human responses when something happen, bad happens to somebody. You know, many people in the world say, oh, it's karma. Like, well, what did you do to deserve that? Or you see somebody who's been in prison and it's like, well, you got what you deserved. Like, there's, there's a lot of this, we get what we deserve thinking in our world. But we can't always be thinking that way, that suffering comes just as a result of bad choices that somebody has made. And that somehow if we make all the right choices, God is going to just bless us and we'll never have to suffer. That just simply isn't the case. Jesus promises that we're going to suffer. In James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it's actually like my life verse. I, I, I love this verse. It's one of my favorites. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. When you hit a wall and it's hard and you're suffering and there's a trial in front of you, be joyful, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 
1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, suffering, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. So don't be surprised as if it's strange, he's saying. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep rejoicing. We should be joyful that we've been found worthy to suffer like Christ has. Mind-bending, mind-blowing. It doesn't make sense. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. It's not you might. It's not somebody else will. You will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. From John 16. So, let's turn our eyes now to Philippians. Um, for those of you that were here last week, there was a, an introduction. Ian, I think, did our introduction to the book. This is a series, a five-part series that we're going to be going through the four books of Philippians. Today we're talking about Philippians 1. The setting is Paul is in prison, house arrest, probably chained to a guard all the time. But he's been granted the, the privilege of being able to write and do some things, talk to people. He's not, it's not um, too re so restrictive that he can't write letters. And so he's writing a letter while he's been in prison for a while. And he was writing to a group of Christians in a place called Philippi where <coughs> he had planted a church previously. And these were some Christians, some, a, a group of people that he dearly loved. It, it's clear if you look at the scriptures that he really wanted the best for them. As he wrote to them in verses 3 through 11, which is not really what I'm going to focus on today, that portion of this chapter. As, as you see what he writes, it's clear there's a strong bond and he really wants the best for this group of people. He wrote to thank them, to give them news, partly about his own imprisonment, um, to encourage them to, to, to be unified, to be discerning, and, and in their difficult circumstances, to be joyful. Something that's so hard to do, but to be joyful in difficult circumstances. So we get to the first tip that I think Paul is sharing, because he was really, he talked a lot about his own suffering in that moment. And he didn't, he didn't do it in saying, oh, it's terrible, like, it, it, pray for me, it's just so bad. No, he, he, he didn't have that attitude at all, even though he probably deserved to be able to have sort of that response, because by some accounts, he's been here on, in house arrest, chained to a guard, can't go outside, for, for two years. You know, this has been very restrictive for quite a while. But he actually found reasons to justify the suffering that he was going through. He sought God's purpose in his own suffering. And so the first thing that he says about his suffering, almost in verses 12 and 13, he said that his imprisonment had made him somewhat famous. It's awesome. All the guards, the whole imperial guard knows about Christ now as a result of my suffering. Isn't that awesome? He rejoices in the fact that there's an unreached people group, the Roman guard, 
that now knows about Christ because he's in, in prison. He's searching and finding that purpose for his suffering. Others were becoming bold in their preaching. If we look in verse 14, I'm not going to go through and read all of these. You, I would encourage you to be looking at that if you have a phone or a scripture with you. But he's, he says others were becoming bold in their preaching because of his own suffering. It's like, well, if Paul can suffer like this, I can at least step out and proclaim the word boldly. Like, that's not that hard compared to being under house arrest for two years. And so people were responding to his imprisonment with boldness, more purpose for his suffering. Paul rejoiced that people were hearing about Christ because of his suffering, because of his imprisonment. It was advancing the gospel. Verse 18, he says that. Paul actually says in the verses, he says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He, he actually says it would be easier, easier for me right now to just die. I've been suffering for a long time, and it would, be, it would really be a blessing for me to just die. And he says, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think God still has work for me yet. I think God's still using this circumstance that I find myself in. I'm going to keep suffering for a while. I expect I'm going to keep suffering, but that's good. That's Christ. Like, to live with this suffering is Christ. To die would be awesome, but because that would be more Christ. But I'll, I'll do what I need to at this time. So he knew that he had to continue in his suffering because of the good that was doing for other people. Seeking God's purpose in the middle of suffering is tip number one to make sense of it all. In Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, happy times, difficult times, in all things, God is working for those who love him. A friend of mine, a colleague who was an accountability partner, someone that I prayed with on a regular basis when I lived in Korea, um, I won't give his name because I haven't told him that I'm sharing this, but I've shared it other times and asked his permission and he said it was fine, but I'll just keep it anonymous for now. But he was in his mid-30s at the time, fell in love with a great Korean lady. They would go on mission trips together when they were engaged. They were co also co-workers and had a ministry together. He asked her to marry him. She said yes. They got married. Less than two weeks after they were married, they got in a car accident, and she was killed in the United States. Here's someone who I really looked up to as a friend, and I, I thought, here's somebody who's really doing great things for God. He's a, a ministry leader, somebody who's put, really putting himself out there. And it was hard for me at that moment to say, why in the world could this have happened? And he said the same thing. When we got back together after that summer when she died, his question was, why? 
God could have stopped that. He had anger in his heart, and he had suffering in his heart, and he said, why did God let that happen? That was totally in God's control, and he allowed it to happen. He had a difficult time accepting the truth of that, of that verse. That God actually works for good, because he said, I love God, and God has done me wrong. That was his natural response. And he said, and then, and then it kind of morphed. He said, okay, it, it changed in his thinking. He said, maybe I deserved it. And he started thinking that maybe this was punishment. And as we spent time, as I spent time just talking with him and working through that, and we struggled with his anguish in this situation together, trying to find sense of it all, the prayer that we settled on, that we repeated week after week after week after week, was, God, we're trusting that you're going to redeem this situation and you're going to somehow bring good out of it, because otherwise this makes no sense to us and our faith is going to be shattered by this. Please, redeem this terrible, difficult situation. I was saying it on his behalf. He was just saying it because he was just, he didn't know, his life felt rudderless at that point because he felt so let down. And it's taken, it took a long time, but eventually we started getting glimpses of how God might actually use this. One of the ministry projects that they worked on was working with a very small just starting up Christian orphanage in the Philippines. And they, the two of them had really enjoyed going and working there. And when it, it turned out that there was going to be a sizable insurance settlement from the accident, quite sizable, and he took all of that money and he donated it to that orphanage. It's a huge, it's a big facility now. And it rescues girls off the street who would otherwise get into prostitution and sex trafficking. And there are hundreds, if not thousands, of girls now who are saved from that kind of life. And that wouldn't have been able to happen without his wife having died and that money being available to do that. It, it doesn't take away the pain of the suffering, but it does help us to trust that this can actually happen. God can actually bring good things out of our suffering. Tip number one is to look for that. This question is for you to think about. Tip number two, I was on that ride with my son, made it worthwhile, made it a lot better. But suffering means that we, we, we shouldn't do this alone. Paul tells others how he's doing in his letters. This is a big theme. I'm telling you how I'm suffering, but it's okay. But I'd like you to be praying for me. Join me at some level in this suffering is what he's saying to the recipients of the letter. In verse 19, he says, I'm encouraged knowing that you're praying for me. Verse 25, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Remain, continue, we're together in this for your progress and joy in the faith. It's really hard for God to use our suffering for anything good if we keep it all to ourselves. 
If we don't share in the suffering of others or let other people suffering who are suffering, or sorry, let other people share in our suffering, it's really, really hard for God to use it for anything. At that point, it's just suffering. That would just be me riding that ride solo, purposeless. No point to it. But it's difficult for us, isn't it? Because a lot of times we fall into that mindset of, if I'm suffering, I don't want to burden other people with that. I don't want to... I don't want to open myself up and seem vulnerable. People might think that I've done something wrong and I actually deserve the suffering. If I'm suffering, it's probably my fault somewhere, and I probably, I just feel bad about myself in this suffering. I, can't, I don't want to share it. It's too private. Oh, I can see that they're hurting, but, oh, I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, this is the other side now where you're on the outside of the suffering. I'm, I'm not going to go and talk to them. It's a, it's uncomfortable for me, and, and they probably don't want to talk about it with me. I'll just let them suffer on their own. That might be a response that we have. Paul says no. He says, I'm going to tell you about my suffering, and I want you to tell me about your suffering, and let's pray for each other in this, and let's serve each other in this. Suffering well means we don't suffer alone. And I'd ask you a question. As you think about your own experiences, what's more challenging for you? Helping others in need or sharing your suffering with others? What's more challenging? Turn to a neighbor. Tell them. What's more challenging for you? Is it easier for you to engage in other people's suffering or to share your own with others? Go ahead. You guys right here, you're, just, you're both looking at me like you're not going to share. You can turn and look at right, right here. You can share with each other. This is the teacher part of me saying you, you, you don't have a choice. You have to engage with this a little bit. Anybody bold enough to share it with the whole class? Robin Hill. Easier for you to, to let other people know about your suffering or easier for you to... Help other people with their suffering. Why is that? Hard to be exposed. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know how other people are going to respond, whether they have the, this perspective on suffering, that it shouldn't be something that's, that's shared. Sorry? That's right. It gets easier with time. The more you have experience of sharing and have people pray for you and minister to you, and the more you help other people in their suffering, it gets easier. But that's why we're here, folks. That's why we're a church. If there's any reason to be together as a, as a church, it, the reasons are to worship Christ together, because he says it's a good thing to do together, but it's also to serve each other in our suffering and to take care of each other and to advance the gospel 
as we serve each other. You will be known by your love. That's our calling, to be known by our love and the way that we serve each other. Tip number three, suffering well means we conduct ourselves in a way that glorifies God in the middle of that suffering. In my cheesy little fair ride example, I was keeping it down. I was, that was my right conduct in that moment. I wasn't, just li- I wasn't losing control. I was under control enough that I conducted myself well. But the way we respond outwardly when we suffer is critical as Christians. If, pe- if the world sees us getting pessimistic, if the world sees us becoming sinful, if the world sees us just throwing in the towel on this whole Christian thing and I'm just going to go and do whatever I well please, that's not a good witness. God can't really use that if that's our attitude, if that's our response to suffering. And it's not easy. Verse 20, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that faith with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul is saying, I got to do this right. I can't behave in a way that I'm going to be ashamed of later. I've got to do this right. I've got to keep my mind in the game. And even though I'm suffering, I've got to see this as purposeful and meaningful and an opportunity. And he was hoping he could conduct himself that way. Verses 27, phrases from verses 27 to 29. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Don't be frightened by anything coming from your opponents. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should, only, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Granted to you. That's like a gift. Can we, can we keep our heads in that kind of mindset? Can we perceive our suffering as a gift from God, an opportunity that we have to conduct ourselves well in a way that makes all the people around us go, whoa, what's going on here? This is different. And and then they're going to ask questions. Why is this different? And when they learn that it's because Jesus has overcome the world and so you can overcome this suffering, all of a sudden they go, whoa, Jesus. Maybe that's something I need to know about. And the gospel advances. But it doesn't as well if we don't take these opportunities of suffering and conduct ourselves in a way where we, we show that Jesus is still Lord and Savior even though I'm hurting. Might not feel realistic, but it is. Christ says it is. He's got our back. It is realistic to behave joyfully while we're suffering. Tip four, last one. Suffering well means our perspective is toward a better future. We're not just mired in this moment. 
when I was on that fair ride, I was thinking, it's going to end. It's going to end. Just a few days ago, I heard about a fair ride in, in Ohio, one of those same kinds of fair rides that's really stomach lurching, and the brakes failed, and it went on for over 15 minutes before they could turn it off. People, kids were just bawling and sobbing and crying. Grown men were crying on this ride because they had that expectation of, the ending is just a couple of minutes away. I can do it. And then it just went on and on and on. You can look it up. This was a, a fair in Ohio. Just went on and on before they could engage some kind of emergency break and finally shut it down. And they had the EMTs waiting, like the, all the emergency personnel waiting for people to come off. And people are, people are like, would you ever ride that ride again? No. No, I would never do that again. But it's because they had anticipated an ending, and it wasn't coming. But that's what we need to do. We need to say, as long as this last God, lasts, God, I, I'm, I need to persist through to the end of this suffering. And I know that a better future is coming. It might not even be in this life. But I trust that there's a better future out there. Paul writes in verses 21, 22, 23, 24, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Thinking out there in the future, future focus. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell, whether to die or to keep persisting. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He says, I'm ready to go. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. But he knows that at some point, all this suffering will end. He will be in the presence of his Savior. It'll all be worth it. Future focus. In Philippians 3.20, I'm skipping ahead a couple of chapters just to make a point. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we conduct ourselves knowing that we are just visitors here and that our true citizenship is in heaven? Is that the way we go through life? Is that our mindset every day? We're just guests. The future is out there, our future citizenship in heaven. On a regular basis, which citizenship do you identify with more? People say, where are you from? United States, Michigan. I don't say, well, I'm, I'm just passing through. My true citizenship is heaven. I never answer that way. Maybe I should. George MacDonald said, The Son of Man suffered unto death, not that men might not suffer, not to remove suffering from our lives, but that their sufferings might be like his. Did Christ suffer for a purpose? Big yes or no. Did Christ suffer for a purpose? Yes. The purpose was to save all of us. That's the gospel. We can engage in that redeeming work of Christ as we suffer. 
our suffering allows us to engage in the advancement of the gospel. We need to see purpose in it. Our suffering can be like his because of what he did. Otherwise, it's awfully hard to find meaning in it. But Christ has infused our suffering with meaning. Quick summary. Philippians 1. Tips for suffering well. I've shortened them. This is the one to take a picture of. Tip 1. Seek purpose in your suffering. Pray. Get God's perspective on it. Tip 2. Don't suffer alone. Suffer together. Share engage in the suffering of others in the church and outside and be willing to share your suffering with others the gospel advances only if we suffer and share tip three our conduct matters when we suffer pray for that strength to be joyful to have that perspective to share a joyful perspective that Christ is still in control even though I'm suffering. Tip four, focus on the future. Wait, things do get better. If we can do those things, Christ can use our suffering and redeem it, bring about some purpose. Let's pray together. Try to before I pray, I'll just say, I'll, I'll go back and we'll try to pray the video. So as we're all going out at the end, you can go, whoa, that really was a bad ride. You need to see it. God, I pray that you would renew our minds, rid us of those patterns of thinking that the world all around us has that make it hard for us to see the truth, the reality of life. Suffering is part of life. And God, I pray that you would help us to embrace it. Whether it's dealing with heat and responding to that, or whether it's dealing with the death of a child, or sickness, or wrongful imprisonment, whatever that is, God. We have opportunities to show that you make a difference in our lives when we suffer. And I pray that you would help us to see that. Help us to make sense of it. God, build our church as we suffer together for your glory and for your sake. Thank you for granting us the opportunities to suffer for the advancement of the gospel. Thank you for infusing our lives with purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.